Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Are you clipping off the flower heads on your basil plants to send the energy back to the plant to produce more green leaves? That's a good idea. But are you tossing out those cut flower heads of the basil? Well, that's a bad idea. How about serving them as a garnish in a salad or a soup? For that matter, why not start serving many of the flowers you might have in your garden on your dinner table? Today, vegetable expert and master gardener Gail Pothauer talks about all the edible flowers that you may not have thought about munching on. Borage, calendulas, citrus flowers, lavender, nasturtium, apple flowers, rose petals, even using zucchini or daylily flowers for stuffing. And we'll tell you the flowers to avoid munching on as well. College horticulture professor retired Debbie Flower explains how to thwart bringing home any soil diseases that you might have in that pile of mulch or compost. It's episode 34 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We talk about food a lot on this program that you raise in your yard. We also talk about flowers as well, because flowers play a very important part in your garden. They attract beneficial insects, for one thing. They attract pollinators as well. They're pretty to look at. But did you know they're tasty as well and can serve as food? There are a lot of edible flowers that you can be growing in your garden. We're talking with vegetable expert and master gardener Gail Pothauer. And Gail, how did you get interested in figuring out which flowers in your garden are edible? Well, actually, I think it was in 2012, we had an advanced master gardener training on edible landscaping. And I was really interested in the vegetable, edible flower portion of that training. We ended up giving some workshops, and so that was the the portion that I spoke on. And so I've gotten interested in the flowers. I mean, I grow a lot of flowers, mostly to attract beneficials, but it really hadn't occurred to me that you can eat them. And so I got interested in them as a result of that workshop. I just went out before our conversation here. I went out to the yard and thought I would sample uh, three flowers of plants you don't think as being edible. I had a salvia, a sage. I cut the flower off of that. I found a flower on a scented geranium that I brought in. And I brought in a flower from a zinnia. And of the three, the the salvia tasted the best. It had a very minty aroma. And I could see where using the flowers of herbs, especially those that maybe you cut off in order to keep the plant from bolting, could actually be used in soups and salads. I'm thinking of people who have basil and they religiously go out and they snip off the flower heads off the basil to keep the green leaves producing. But don't throw away those flowers because they can be very tasty. Right. Uh, Herb flowers are actually some of the easiest uh, edible flowers that you can use. And probably most people have them growing in their garden or landscape already. You know, we have rosemary growing around as a shrub. And if you have an herb garden, you might grow chives or thyme, savory. Um, I like cilantro and lemon verbena, mint. There's a lot of mints. And if you can eat the leaves of culinary herbs you can also eat the flowers and they tend to have maybe a little more subtle flavor than the leaf of the herb i love pineapple sage very um very pineapple-y. I, w- I would think that a lot of these uh, flowers are best to use as as a garnish not as a a, a main treat 
Yeah, a lot of them you would use as a garnish um, or in a salad, a fresh salad. So rather than cook with it, you could use it fresh, chopped up in the salad. Um, I like to use the basil and some of my herb flowers in a, a green salad. I get that herb flavor without it being overpowering. But then there's also some um, recipes that you can use in like a marinade for fish or that sort of thing. Mm. I saw one the other day, a rosemary and the sprig and the flowers in a marinade for salmon, I think it was. So yeah, you can also cook with them, but I think fresh application often is a little better. Another flowering herb that is very popular, not only for the green part of the herb, but also for the flower is borage. And they're easy to grow. And those little star-shaped flowers have what kind of a cucumber flavor. Right. And you'd eat the flower petals. It's a kind of a real pretty blue flower. And you take the petals off and eat those. Um, The leaves are real um, fuzzy. And so that tends to bother me to eat something fuzzy like that. They eat the petals. And actually on probably almost all edible flowers, you would use the petals. You don't use the stamens and and all the reproductive parts that are in the middle of the flower. You'd take those out. Some people have an allergy to pollen, so you just want to eliminate those. Just eat the petals. Another popular uh, plant that you don't think of as having edible petals are sunflowers. Oh, I tasted one this morning. I went out and wanted to sample the sunflower I'm growing, and it had kind of a piney, I guess that's the best way to describe kind of a pine flavor, similar to rosemary, not as strong, but it was reminiscent of rosemary. It was kind of interesting. Eating flowers, it, it goes back for centuries, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It was really common in medieval Europe, and they often used food back then as medicine. So a lot of the things that that we grow today, mostly for ornamental, was used for medicinal purposes back a long time ago. I would think then that basically any flower that isn't poisonous or doesn't cause a negative reaction would be considered edible. But how the heck uh, do you determine uh, what's poisonous and what's edible before you eat it? Well, yeah, find a list. Um, I originally started using a book written by Rosalind Creasy. It's called The Edible Flower Garden. She has a whole series of edible books. And uh, she had a great list in there of plants that are toxic and ones that are, you know, commonly eaten. And also um, Colorado State University Extension put out uh, quite a lengthy list of edible flowers and a list of toxic flowers. I think Rosalind Creasy had good advice when she stated in her book, if the plant is not on any list of edible plants or on any list of poisonous plants, assume it's not edible. Wouldn't recommend just going out and kind of grazing through your garden because not all flowers are edible. We'll have links in the show notes for this episode of the Garden Basics for Colorado State's uh, University's list of edibles, as well as a link to Roz Creasy's book on edible flower gardening. And we'll have a link, too, to the publication you put out uh, through the University of California Ag and Natural Resources the, ag, the cooperative extension in Sacramento County called uh, Growing Edible Flowers in Your Garden. So we'll have that list available on uh, the show notes as well for people to check out. I guess the first rule would be be sure to positively identify any flower before eating it, just because there are some lookalikes out there that may not be what you think they are. 
Right. Yeah, proper identification is critical and use the scientific name because many plants have similar common names. So um, I would always recommend finding the scientific name for the flower or the plant and only eating those. Common names can be very confusing. Obviously, uh, do not eat any flowers that uh, if you have asthma, allergies or hay fever. Right. And you also bring up in your garden notes there about growing edible flowers in your garden, a very important point to only eat flowers that have been grown organically because of pesticide residues. Right. Um, that's why it's not recommended that you use flowers that you get from a florist or even maybe a nursery because you don't know exactly how they were grown and they're usually not grown for consumption, you know, not the flowers. So, um, pretty much need to grow them yourself. Or sometimes I notice farmer's markets, at least in the past, have had maybe a booth here or there where they were selling edible flowers. I don't know how common it is today, but uh, I just recommend growing them yourself because you know exactly what's been put on them and how they've been grown. That's my recommendation. That's good advice. When is the best time of day to collect flowers and how do you choose a flower? As far as um, the quality think, of the yeah, flower. Yeah, usually it's best to get them um, in the morning. Maybe not too early. You don't want dew on them, but you want to pick them before the heat of the, the day starts. So um, they're usually pretty fragile. So carry them in a little box and refrigerate them. Use them as quickly as you can. They tend to not last very long. You don't want flowers that are on their way out, you know, starting to wilt. Um, the, and then you want ones that have opened up except I think daylilies are a little different. Often you'll use the bud of the daylily. You can chop those up and stir fries and whatnot. But most other flowers, you want them already to be opening up before you pick them. Now you've brought up a very interesting topic because there are some rather large flowers out there that make for excellent receptacles for stuffing and then eating the whole thing. Daylilies, uh, for one, very popular. I know that's a, a popular thing on the menu up at a local nursery up in Amador County called Amador Flower Farm, which is a daylily grower. I know. I've had them up there. We had a Master Gardener field trip there many years ago, and they served, uh, because they specialize in daylilies, they served daylilies that were stuffed with an herbed cream cheese mixture and another one served with chocolate mousse. Mm -hmm. It was my first introduction to eating flowers it was it was terrific <laughs> another large flower that you can stuff that people may have in their yard right now are zucchini flowers right you can eat squash flowers zucchini being the preferred um one to eat because they tend to be a little bit larger than other squash flowers and um again with the squash i would recommend taking the reproductive parts out the stamens and the pistols and all that, because that's where you're going to have pollen and other things in there. Um, sometimes you'll find little critters in there, like bees, squash bees. Often squash bees will spend the night inside the squash flower. So just be sure when you pick it that there's no critters inside. And yep. uh, take the reproductive parts out and stuff it with ricotta and batter it and fry it. I would think also that uh, if you if you still want zucchini in the garden, choose only the male flowers and, and leave the female flowers intact. Correct. The male flowers are the ones that just have a long stem. The female flowers will have an immature fruit at the base, at the ovary. And although I have seen 
in restaurants where they take little tiny female flowers, you know, with the with the tiny little vegetable at the end, and they have cooked the whole thing. They've stuffed the flowers and then left the the tiny zucchini attached. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's something. I have yet to try that, but it's kind of intriguing. Two of my favorite flowers to use, and and in any garden book, they'll recommend that you always cut them off when you see them, are onion flowers and garlic flowers. And the reason for cutting them off is you want to put the energy into forming a bigger bulb, not in forming Mm -hmm. uh, reproductive structures. And so those flowers and and the seeds uh, that might be associated with that flower head, very tasty. They are, um, and something that would be a little bit easier but kind of have the same flavor would be uh, regular onion chives or garlic chives. My garlic chives are just starting to bloom, and they have a subtle garlic flavor. And I read an article the other day that society garlic is edible, Mm -hmm. and the reason it was called society garlic is it was a little less garlicky on your breath so that when you ate it and you were out in public you were a little more social apparently (laughs) (laughs) and of course you mentioned already that when you're out picking flowers you don't want uh, the blemished blossoms you want quality flowers so to speak you Mm -hmm. want to clean off any dirt or insects should they be stored in the refrigerator and in what sort of container in a refrigerator um, kind of a flat container, maybe with uh, slightly dampened paper towels, just to keep them from wilting. But you should really use them pretty quickly. They're not uh, generally wouldn't last too long in the refrigerator. And I do want to mention, though, if you're going to start eating some um, edible flowers that you have never eaten before, you might want to start eating them a little at a time, just to find out if you have any kind of a reaction to them. Some people have allergic reactions and you just won't know until you eat them and to eat them in small quantities at first. So after you've picked these flowers for consumption later in the day, do you wash them first or do you, or do you wash them as the last step before serving? You know, I've, I've read articles about saying both. Uh, some say you can wash them at the, you know, when you actually pick them and then store them or wash them right before you use them. I would tend to give them a brief little brush off and maybe with a damp uh, paper towel or something before I stored them in the refrigerator. To me, that seems the better um, way to go. We haven't even, we've been talking about annuals and, and the flowers that are grown on uh, those uh, sometimes edible uh, crops as well as flowering uh, plants. But there's perennials, trees and shrub flowers too that are quite edible. What are some of your favorites in those categories? Citrus. I have a mandarin tree, a couple of them. I have a lemon. I have a lime, and those flowers are definitely edible. The lime's a little more astringent, maybe than the orange, than an orange blossom would be. But you can certainly use citrus flowers. I was reading uh, somewhere that uh, ancient civilizations used to eat rose petals. Yes, roses are edible. You might not want to eat every rose. Some of them have a better flavor than others, and actually I can say that about most most flowers. Just because you can eat them doesn't mean you should. They may not have great flavor. So some rose petals would taste better than others. And when you take the petal off, there's kind of a little white um, area where it was attached to the plant. I don't know exactly what that scientific name is, but 
kind of cut that off because that can be bitter. I noticed that uh, among the spring flowering uh, fruit trees, uh, apples have a very nice tasty flower as well. Right. I've never tried apple blossoms, but I have heard that they're very tasty, a kind of a sweet flavor. Um, so there's actually a number of trees that have flowers that are edible plum. I may go try my pluot mm. tree next year when it flowers to see how those taste. We should reinforce the point, too, that check out these lists of edible plants and make sure that the plant that you are about to taste, A, you've identified it, and B, it's on one of those lists of uh edible uh, flowers uh, from Uh plants because uh, there are some flowers to avoid and you have a rather extensive list there on your uh, handout of growing edible flowers in your garden which again we will uh, link to in the show notes what are some of the probably the more common ones that people might be tempted to eat that they shouldn't be eating well i would think maybe uh, azalea azalea is commonly grown um, in many areas of the country and all parts of that plant are toxic Uh, daffodils uh, foxgloves. I know they make digitalis for heart medication from foxgloves, so you wouldn't want to eat that. Hydrangeas. A lot of people grow hydrangeas, and hydrangea, all all portions of the hydrangea plant are toxic. So oleander, poinsettia, sweet peas. Now, this is the sweet pea um, vine that you grow ornamentally. You can eat the flowers of garden peas. In fact, they're very tasty, so you don't want to confuse those. But that sweet pea the ornamental is toxic. And I'm really fond of some cover crops and their flowers like fava beans. Just an excellent mm-hmm. flavor. Yeah, they're, they're very tasty. And um, crimson clover is also used as a cover crop um, over the winter. And those flowers are edible as well. All right. And some of the bulbs that you may have in your uh, garden probably are on the uh, uh, avoid list. Things like uh, irises and tulips and daffodils. Mm-hmm. Lily of the Valley, yes. <laughs> yeah, I used to say if it's not on a list of something that you can eat, I would not try it. Exactly. Safety first. Anything you want to add to this? Well, only that there's really a lot of uses for edible flowers. I mean, I think of them used fresh as a garnish or in a salad. That's basically how I use them. But you can also sprinkle them on pizza or on pasta. I'm actually going to be making pasta the next couple of days, and I'm going to sprinkle it with basil flowers. Mm. Um, actually, it hadn't occurred to me to do that. You can make butters. Nasturtium or chives are great. Um, chop them up in butters, um, you know, and you can spread it on a main dish. You can spread it on bread. So there's a lot of uses. You can candy them. Um, you can put fresh flowers on cupcakes, and you can eat them. And Desserts, of course, lavender ice cream, things like that. So there's a lot of uses for for flowers that we don't generally think of. And again, I was just checking out that Colorado State University extension list of edible flowers, which has the uh, unromantic name of Edible Flowers 7.237. So (laughs) so go figure on that. Uh, But but we'll have a link on that one for you, too, because it's a very extensive list. And there's one on there that... uh, I just might go out and try uh, real quick. It's uh, the uh, agastache, which is uh, a, a very attractive plant for hummingbirds. I think the common name on agastache is anise hyssop. It's, hyssop. Yeah, anise hyssop. Uh-huh. So it would have kind of a licorice flavor? I, that's what it says here, yes. Yeah, sort of a, a sweet licorice, uh, strong anise flavor. So agastache, yeah, try that one. And uh, even uh, tuberous begonias. 
The flowers of those? Yeah, that was a surprise to me. Uh, and on our list, the one, the Master Gardener list, where we have the tuberous begonia listed on edible flowers, the tuberous begonia is listed as being edible, but there's a note there that only hybrid varieties are edible. Mm. So you have to determine if the variety you ha- are trying to eat is a hybrid or not. Many people can grow this one, nasturtiums. Oh, nasturtium. Yeah, it's kind of a peppery uh, flavor, similar to watercress, sort of. And not only is the flower edible of nasturtium, but the leaves are. And also the seed, when they start to develop seeds, you can use those and pickle them sort of like a caper. Mm. But yeah, it's a real peppery kind of flavor. Plus, the flowers are so pretty from white to orange, yellow and red, that if you had that as a garnish or chopped up in a salad or even sprinkled in something like a rice dish at the end, so it was more of a garnish on your rice dish, it would be very attractive and it would taste well, good as well. See, folks, you have more food in your garden than you even dreamed of. Take advantage of the flowers that are out there. Just be sure that those flowers are on some list that say they are edible and also commit to memory those that are not edible. You don't want to be uh, eating those. There are other vegetable flowers that you're probably growing in your garden that you can eat uh, aside from just squash. Um, I mentioned garden peas earlier, but kale. In fact, I was munching on my kale flowers this last year and They're quite tasty. And broccoli, broccoli actually is the flower head. And when they start to open up these yellow flowers, you can eat those. You won't find those flowering in a grocery store or a farmer's market. You'd need to grow them yourself in order to have broccoli flowers. Well, you bring up another good point with that. And for those of us who are blessed to live in a climate where you can grow cool season crops that mature during the fall and winter, but as soon as the weather starts warming up, they bolt. They send out uh, mm-hmm. flower stalks, like broccoli, for example, or cilantro. Uh, the flowers that remain are very attractive for beneficial insects, but they're tasty, too. Right. So if you are growing radishes and they've bolted and gone to flower, that will attract beneficial insects, but they're also edible and you get a little bit of that radish flavor, a little more subtle than the radish itself. So, yeah, it's there's quite a number of cool season crops, the brassica family, that when they flower, they attract beneficials and you can eat them as well. So, again, we'll have links in the show notes to growing edible flowers in your garden. It's the Garden Notes. It's GN155 produced by the Cooperative Extension in Sacramento County. Uh, There is the list from Colorado State University, Colorado State list of edibles, as well as a link to Roz Creasy's book, The Edible Flower Garden. And she's written a series of books about edible flowers. And in her book, she also, about the last half of the book, she has a bunch of recipes. So it gives you some ideas what to do with all those flowers. There you go. Gail Pothauer, we learned a lot. I'm getting hungry. It's time to go eat. (laughs) Thanks, Fred. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. 
You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Here at Garden Basics, we like to answer your garden questions because I can just toss them off to our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. And Debbie, questions have been coming in. People worried about compost and mulch as far as can they spread disease if they spread compost or mulch on their garden? Oh, you always give me the hard ones, Fred. You make me work. I know. <laughs> I need more time uh, to ride a bike. <laughs> yeah. Um, the short answer is yes, they can be spread. Uh, diseases, pathogens or, or infectious diseases can be spread by bringing mulch or compost into your yard that contains, the mulch or compost contains those uh, infectious pathogens. The other short answer is that typically it's not going to happen. The conditions needed for that pathogen, and I'm thinking primarily of fungal pathogens like uh, fusarium wilt, let's say. The, the conditions needed for that pathogen to move from the compost or mulch into the soil, into the plant, in most cases do not exist. The, somewhere along the process, that pathogen will die. But there are some ways, you know, you don't, if you have a really beautiful uh, tree that is susceptible to fusarium, you really don't want a chance killing it or infecting it with, with a fungal pathogen. So even, you know, if the chance is, is one in a hundred or whatever. So the, there are some things that you can do to limit or take the chance of that happening down to, to zero. And, and one is to let the mulch or compost dry out, then the, the, the pathogen will die, or and or uh, let it sit and compost and get hot. Uh, and I have brought in many loads of mulch from arborists, so tree chippings uh, from arborists' uh, work, have them deposited on my property. And if you let them sit a few days, you can see the steam rising out of the top of that pile. Uh, it tends to be a great uh, compost mix. We talk about carbon uh, and nitrogen ratios for compost. And that uh, chopping down a tree that has green leaves on it tends to be the perfect mix of carbon and nitrogen for a compost pile. So I just leave it there and let it, it compost for a while. And that will kill that hotness will kill the um, pathogens in the uh, in the pile. That, that makes me feel better that even if I'm bringing in something that potentially has a disease in it, that disease has been killed by that process. Finally, chopping or grinding the material, letting it sit for three days or longer in a pile so that it heats up. And if you really want to t take it to the nth degree, have it have your mulch or compost on a hard surface, not on soil where it can actually pick up more diseases and keep it covered so that more diseases can't enter it from the top. Yeah. But there is very little, if any, evidence that uh, diseases are being passed from uh, mulch or compost to live uh, plants in the garden. Yes, they can be carried in that material, but between the complicated process to get from the material to the plant and the handling of the material, the fact that it's chopped, the fact that it's allowed to sit and heat up, all, uh, lead to 
uh, very ineffective infestation of the plant. So basically, the answer is no, it doesn't happen. Yeah, you mentioned a fusarium wilt, and another concern would be verticillium wilt, which affects uh, hundreds of plants, including uh, right. your tomato garden. And I, I believe in in conversations we've had about this before if you just leave the mulch on the surface and don't mix it into the soil you lessen the chance of anything happening right because then that fungus which is not doesn't have legs in order for the fungus to get to the plant it has to get to the soil and then it has to travel through the soil to the plant it has to know the plant is there and again it it, it doesn't have that kind of brain it doesn't look out and say, oh, there's something like an infect over there. Infection only occurs when the two meet each other uh, by meaning like the root of the of the plant and the soil uh, born disease meet each other in the soil. So th- then infection would occur. So just leaving it on top, that's not going to happen. So you're right. Don't mix it in. So what we've learned today is funguses don't have legs and they don't have a brain. <laughs> Very important to know that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> there you go. As long as you let that pile sit, as long as you don't incorporate it into the soil uh, right from the get go, you should be OK. Right. Debbie Flower, as always, we learn something new. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Fred. Thank you. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.